to the People of the Way podcast, a conversation for those who want to raise children to grow up into Jesus Christ. You can find out more about us by visiting peopleoftheway.org or by joining the People of the Way private Facebook group where you can interact more personally and interactively with the topics we discuss here. I'm Father Len Cowan. I'm abbot of the Abbey of the Way, founded in 2015 with my late wife, Hallie. It's a ministry and a home of spiritual formation and prayer for developing Christian leaders who live and serve deeply in Christ. At its core is a way of life based on seeking the virtues of Jesus, beholding the vision of God, and practicing his ways to see and receive him. You can find out more about that at uh, abbeyoftheway.us. I'm also the proud dad of the other voice you just heard, Sarah Cowan Johnson, who's a ministry trainer, consultant, and coach, and she lives in Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about her and her work at sarahcowanjohnson.com. That's Sarah with an H and Cowan with an A. She's just released a great book, Teach Your Children Well, a guide for encouraging family discipleship. Parents who practice their faith with their children in the ways her book describes will have a very high likelihood of raising kids who go on to follow Jesus as adults. Sarah's also mom to my wonderful grandsons, Noah and Silas, ages 12 and 8, and the wife of husband, Greg. So in this conversation, we're really trying to do the same kind of thing that Sarah's book does, to encourage parents, grandparents, and other believing adults in a child's life to get into the discipling game with their children, raising up the next generation who will walk in the way of Jesus, will grow in faith and virtue, and then will go on to raise up the next generations. So in our conversations here, we talk about adopting various spiritual practices as parents and inviting our children and grandchildren to share in them with us. And we do this so that we and our kids will become more like Jesus, demonstrating his virtues of faith, hope, and love. The practices help us to focus on Jesus, who then plants these virtues in us and our children through the Holy Spirit. In this way, Jesus comes to live out his life in and through us, including in the youngest of us. And so in this eighth episode of the podcast, we are going to focus on Jesus's virtue of hope and on one aspect of that hope, his ability as a human to be reflective about his life, past, present, and future. If you think about the short 33 years of Jesus's life on earth, you'll note that he was very self-aware, able to understand himself and his life. As an adult, he remained connected with his past. He continued in relationship with his mother Mary into his adult life, continued to spend time in the Galilee region where he grew up, and was obviously deeply connected to his Jewish heritage. He was also fully present to whatever was happening in the moment. You'll remember the time he was able to focus on healing the bleeding woman, even as he was being called to the bedside of a dying child. And all the while, Jesus was planning for a future which he knew would involve his suffering, death, and rising to life again. We also see Jesus' self-awareness in his ability to discuss the intimate details of his relationship with his heavenly Father. He talked about he and the Father, how he and the Father were one, and allowed himself to be called teacher and Lord. In the Gospels, we see Jesus retreat into solitude frequently such as when he heard the news of the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. You get the sense that Jesus was very much aware of himself and what was happening around him and in him. This was true even when he was a preteen boy, engaging the teachers of the law in the temple, amazing them with his understanding, 
but then going back home to Nazareth with his parents, fully obedient to them while under their roof. So throughout his life, Jesus was reflective, able to look soberly at himself, his world, and the people around him. His ultimate hope was in God, and he entrusted himself continually to his heavenly Father. So looking at almost the exact opposite of that, if there's a word to describe our experience of our life in these days, it would be immediacy. We're focused on what's in front of us, including our current anxiety about what's ahead of us, our personal experiences, and our virtual realities. We have very little inclination or invitation to consider what we've learned from the past, to be aware of how we're responding to what's going on in the present, or to anticipate soberly what might be ahead in the future. It's all about what's going on right now. Yipes. And therefore, paradoxically, it's hard for us to be present to life in the moment, to understanding what we're feeling or thinking or doing since we're so busy managing it or worrying about every piece of it, what's here or what's coming ahead. We're certainly not encouraged to join the psalmist in saying things like, search me, God, know my heart, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In these days of hectic immediacy with its unexamined lifestyle, Jesus says to us and to our children, if you remain in me and in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This, not only the truth of God's word, but also the truth illuminating who we are and how we're doing. So Jesus invites us to behold him as the one who is eternal, who is present at this moment to our past, our present, and our future. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's beyond time. He has an infinite perspective on our life, our history, and our destiny, and that of everyone and everything else in the universe. Now, that alone just kind of blows mm -hmm. your mind, gives you pause to wonder that we're relating to that kind of a being. As we consider him, then, who is eternal, we're given the virtue of being able to be reflective like he is, being able to learn from our past, to be aware of what's happening around us and inside of us in the present moment, and to be ready for the future that he will lead us to. Now, Socrates apparently said, the Greek philosopher, that the unexamined life isn't worth living, particularly a life that lives under the sway of the immediate perspectives and judgments and attitudes of others that are bombarding us all the time. And this is what our world is developing, and this is what our children are being sucked into as well. So as our children grow in the awareness of themselves as distinct from the world around them, that's what happens to them when they go from being babies to being children, we wanna help them to learn how to embrace the good which is in God and can be in their hearts and their minds and their, and their wills, and to reject the evil which is in their world and in their sin-stained sin little selves. Key to this is their ability to be able to reflect on themselves in the light of the eternal God. So how do we and our children gain perspective on our life in the light of God the eternal? How do we stop the train, step off for a moment for a consideration of what's going on in and going on about our life? 
As the poet Mary Oliver said, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Great question. Mm -hmm. We of all people, believers in God the Eternal, should be able in some way to answer that question as we look at him in specific ways and help our children to reflectively learn to do the same. So the specific ways that we engage God in seeking his virtue, his character in us, are what we call sacramental disciplines. That term parallels the official definition of a sacrament, which is an outward and a physical sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So sacramental virtues are outward practices which put us in touch with the attributes of God which can be inwardly manifested in us. They are real-time actions that have eternal consequences. For developing in us and our children the virtue of being reflected, we suggest you adopt certain disciplines of devotion, including some daily devotional disciplines which are normally recommended for followers of Jesus. Now, you may be thinking that these practices, such as the classic practice for adults of having a quote-unquote quiet time or hour for God or whatever, they're meant to teach us truths and directions for living in Christ. And, and that would be true, but only partly so. It's kind of incomplete. The value of such devotional disciplines is that they enable us to become reflective. Yes, to learn about the person of God and his action in our lives, no question, but also to learn how this unique person that he is influences the unique people that each of us are and how God is at work in us and to be able to learn from God about our past, our present, and our future reflected in God's eternal word and presence. Awesome. So at the end of each episode, we share some specific practices that can help our kids learn to walk in the way of Jesus. And as we've said in previous episodes, we do this in different ways for the different stages of faith development in children and adults. So for children, we look at three different uh, developmental stages of faith, faith development. So the experiential stage, these are our smallest children from birth to about age six, and they learn by doing. So their primary way of expressing their faith is experienced faith, they learn by doing. Moving on then into sort of the elementary years, age seven-ish to 11-ish, it's the affiliative stage. So older elementary and preteens, they learn by belonging. And so their primary faith expression is, I believe because we believe, being part of the family and the church and the tribe who believes. And then moving on into the teenage years, uh, th this is the searching stage. These kids learn by questioning, by testing and exploring, and that's actually a critical uh, part of what it means to express genuine faith. And so across all these stages, the practices that we're gonna explore together this month are the devotional practices which enable us and our children to be reflective as Jesus was and to receive and to reflect to others the hope which we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start with our little ones, the experiential stage, um, you know, preschool, toddlers, uh, zero to age five or six. So the practice I would recommend here is the practice of uh, the Ignatian examen, which um, you may be familiar with. It's a practice that adults do, and I modify it a little bit for children. So in the classic 
practice of this discipline for adults, you're reflecting on uh, what is called consolation and desolation, e in, either at the end of the day or the end of the week. Um, I do recommend this as a daily practice. And so consolation is when we feel close to God or we sense God's presence. Desolation is when we feel distant from God or sense a lack of God's presence. Now that those concepts are a little bit too abstract for little kids. And so to make it a bit more concrete, uh, this is something that we began with our kids as soon as they were able to answer these simple questions. We asked them at bedtime, when were you happy today? When were you sad today? And who was with you all day when you were happy and when you were sad? And the, the goal there is really to help them to reflect back on the day, to think through. You could do highs and lows. You could do um, gratefuls and grumbles. But the point is that Jesus was present with them through their best moments and through their worst. And so that's something that began to be, um, you know, absolutely uh, <laughs> unquestioned for them. Now, my recollection is, and, and we didn't uh, practice this, I don't think, when we were, when I was doing you. No, uh, I don't remember this. But you guys do it, and you do it as a family, yes. right? I think that's really important that this isn't kind of, okay, kids, you are going to do your little examine thing. Because I remember little Noah, when he was younger, mm -hmm. saying to me, Puppy, when were you happy? <laughs> Puppy, when were you sad? And it was wonderful for me to be able to reflect happy and sad, which I'm not a very reflective person by nature. I'm kind of a gung-ho, here we go. So this is really helpful for me, this discipline. But it was great to have mm -hmm. my grandson asking me and for me to be held accountable to him of when I was sad, which is something that, again, personality-wise, I don't <laughs> like to think a lot about, but it was helpful. Yeah. It was really helpful. No, it's so to sweet to, uh, to be encouraged to be reflective by your children. Um, one little story just to show how impactful this practice was to Noah um, when he was little. So he was about age three, and was getting ready to go to the dentist for the first time. I was very nervous about going to the dentist and we prepared him for weeks about it's gonna be fine and they're not gonna hurt you and they're just gonna maybe count your teeth. They're not gonna do anything scary. And I kept reassuring him and I'll be sitting right in the chair next to you. Um, and so one day again, he's expressing anxiety about it and I'm getting a little bit frustrated. And I said, but Noah, who's gonna be with you in the room? And he just visibly relaxed and he said, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it was just, um, yeah. you know, it, Jesus's presence with him, uh, thinking about that, reflecting on that actually uh, was more comforting than mom's presence even, which was mm -hmm. kind of a neat thing. Sweet. So moving on to the affiliative stage. So again, age seven-ish to 11-ish, so through elementary school. Um, a practice, so I, in our household, we have two rambunctious boys who, uh, the word quiet is not the most appealing word, so we do not <laughs> refer to time with God as quiet time. We actually call it special God time. And so uh, when Noah, our oldest, was about seven, we taught him how to have a special God time, which is basically just time alone with God. God. And so I set up a little special God time table for him in his room that had a, a kid's Bible, um, actually a, a devotional book for kids, a Jesus Calling for Kids is excellent. Wonderful. Um, I put some artwork for him to reflect on, some art supplies, and I even gave him a candle that uh, we trusted him to light, um, you know, with a little, <laughs> a little watchful <laughs> eye from us. 
and encourage him to put on some worship music and just spend 15 minutes um, in special time with God. And so teaching our kids that actually time with God is not boring. It's not, doesn't have to be quiet, actually. <laughs> it can be loud. It can be uh, fun. It can, you know, align with the things that they love to do. If your kid loves to dance, they could dance to worship music for special yeah. God time. So in our house, as our boys have gotten older, they're now 12 and 8. We actually do parallel special God time at 7 o'clock. And it's sort of like the concept of parallel play when kids learn to play independently next to each other. We do that with God. So each of us picks something. All four of you. All four of us. That's great. We pick something. Um, you know, Noah likes to read the Bible. Silas usually likes to do imaginative prayer. Um, Greg likes to journal. And I sort of float and do lots of different things because I don't really love routines. Um, <laughs> And uh, oh, we cute. have a timer, a little sand um, hourglass, and we um, we flip that over a couple times, so we do about 10 minutes just of special God time in parallel with each other. Excellent, excellent. So then moving on to the searching stage, teenagers, a practice that I think helps uh, to encourage this discipline of being reflective, or uh, yeah, the virtue of being reflective, is um, something that I used to do as a teen, which is what I call psalm rewriting. So I would take a psalm and write in my journal, write the psalm out uh, with space in between each line. So I would just write the, the lines out, but leave a good chunk of space in between. And then I would go back once I had written out the psalm and write my own words hmm. in between to kind of put what the psalmist is saying in my own words. And so when the psalmist is crying out to God in, you know, desperation or sadness or anger or frustration that I would write my own emotions about that. Or if, if uh, the psalmist is asking God for help, I would write that. Or, you know, praising God, I would put that in my own words. So I think that's a discipline that can encourage um, teens to be reflective on their own emotions. Well, and that also fits with that searching phase, which as I understand it <laughs> yeah. is kind of you know, you're, you're sort of moving beyond what you've been told and what people around you yep. do. And you're kind of trying, is this for me? Is this real? You're asking those kind of questions. So the opportunity to rewrite yeah. the scripture, it does remind me of something that I did when I was first coming to Christ and reading the Bible. And it was before I'd actually, you know, inked the deal with Jesus, so to speak. And I was one of those, I once was lost and now was found kind of person. I was not raised in a Christian house. I would read through the Bible and the parts that I didn't like that I thought were kind of medieval. That was the term I used medieval. So any reference to Satan, any reference to miracles and stuff, I would cross them out, literally. I was kind of like Thomas Jefferson, who apparently did that. He would cut out portions of the Bible he didn't like. Anyway, and then when I came to Christ, I, I, I put them back in. But this is an opportunity for a believing kid who's pressing the envelope, pushing, you know, pressing into God to 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 kind of reconfigure how does the how do how do I express this in my yes. own words? I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. Now the next thing, it's part of the searching phase, and this is something that I've actually done some some thinking about recently. So I would appreciate if there are those who go to the Facebook group who join it who could comment on this. Um, just as in adult discipleship and stage development, there is a stage of kind of um, searching for adults, a, a stage where we kind of press more deeply into God, and that can lead to what one writer calls the wall, or St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, where we're just not sure about much of anything and so on. So I think during the searching phase, I call it not the wall, but the fence. 
And it's a time for a believing Christian kid who's searching and trying to claim this Jesus for, for herself or for himself. It's called a fence. It's, where it, it's a time where they're aware either that there's a deeper life with God and they feel like their experience of God mediated to them through the family or through the church is fencing them out from going deeper with him. Or conversely, and perhaps more disturbingly, it can be a time when they feel just fenced in and they got to get out of this thing and kind of need to bust loose for a season. And we parents need to let them go. So this fence time uh, is a frustrating time when uh, the emerging adult feels either fenced in, just kind of confined, and they got to got to break free from it, or fenced out of a deeper relationship with God. So um, this is a, a discipline that I would encourage for somebody who's in that stage. And again, I'd like to, well, well for example, is this something that you ever experienced? It, it was, it, it's, it's like the wall or the dark night. It's not an essential, but. Yeah, I mean, when I was 14, um, I wasn't sure if I, I, I wasn't sure that um, that being a Christian was going to fit with sort of the the new emerging um, interests that I had, uh, the new friendships I was forming um, in high school. So I had a sort of a, I would say, yeah, sort of a coming of age experience in high school where I'm becoming myself in a new way, and I had a significant question of whether. Um, my faith would fit with who okay. I was becoming. Okay. And so that might have been sort of a fenced, fenced in, in kind feeling. of feeling. Yeah, because yeah. it's sort of fenced in or fenced out. And so what I would encourage um, if there is, a, perhaps if there's already a discipline or even if there's not, is kind of the discipline of, of journaling or, or of keeping a diary, that this is an important time in the child's life and, and, and they know it. I mean, you knew that that was an important time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you knew either I'm going to continue right. in this thing that my family does somewhere or another, i got to claim it for myself, or I'm going to leave it. Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal time. So uh, at least the emerging adult, uh, young adult, can, uh, can be encouraged to kind of just get down on paper or electronics or you can speak it, you know, dictate it, whatever you want to mm -hmm. do. There's so many options now of just kind of, what's going on here or you can draw it you can music it whatever you want to do but some way for them to engage in some kind of personal conversation or if they feel they can do that with god you know asking god questions the psalmist does that all the time mm -hmm. you know where are you god what's going on how come this terrible thing's happening to me why aren't you here or thank you that you are here but you're not there you know kind of things um that can be extremely helpful uh just as an idea and you don't supervise it you don't read it, right. it's theirs, you know, and you may never know what's going on. It's kind of like, you know, they're moving to the dark side of the moon and you don't know what's going on, but this is something you can suggest that they just, uh, that they would do some thinking and reflection around that. This is also a time when parents need to just kind of take some really deep breaths because you need <laughs> yeah. to accept and engage some really honest questions and concerns and criticisms. I mean, you know, um, uh, young people are not stupid. Uh, they see what's going on in the church. They hear the stories about major kind of meltdowns of church and, and misconduct and stuff like that, misappropriation, et cetera. They've got some questions, you know. They might say to you, uh, well, how come we know that this God is, is the only way? I mean, what's the deal with that? That's a big uh, stick in many people's craw is, you know, what about this being the only way? 
and you have the opportunity to encourage them to reflect on that or maybe even to study that you know they say how do we know these the only way well you could say well have you examined any other religions mm -hmm. and they say well no well why don't you try it out mm -hmm. you know etc and it's also appropriate for you to at when they ask you these questions uh, some of them you have to say I, I really don't know the answer to that or you know I'll, yeah. I'll get back to you on that and what you're trying to do is to reject defensiveness and encouraging them to just reflect on what's going on and that as their faith life is changing, as it must during this season in order for them to fully embrace Jesus as an adult, um, that you're, you're, you're letting them ask you things. You're letting them kind of press into God more deeply or perhaps for a season pressing away from God. Um, you, you just are rejecting the defensiveness mm -hmm that Jesus really rejected in the religious leaders of his day who were saying, well, why do your people not do things this way? And why didn't they do it that way? Well, because they were pressing into a Messiah who was going to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And that was way different from the spiritual and religious experiences of the people of his day. Jesus was not happy with religious leaders who were swatting people who were coming to a whole new experience of their life with God. Uh, then once, once you know, uh, kids get into that place where they can, you know, fully say, okay, this, this Jesus is mine, or in my case, they, they, they get to a place of just grab and hold on him, then indeed the classic quiet time <laughs> or the hour with God, and it doesn't need to be an hour, by the way. I, mine have never been an hour of doing just this kind of thing. But yeah, you're, you're commending that in order to be able to be reflective, we do need to engage the scripture. And my late wife, Hallie, I don't know whether she coined this or picked it up from uh, people who taught her, but the things you want to ask of the scripture, they're sort of re reflective questions. Well, first, it's like, what does this say? So that's where you need to do a little study to understand what is a sheep, for example. Jesus talks a lot about mm -hmm. sheep. What are sheep and shepherds? They're very different in his age than they were in our age. Well, then the next question, what does it say? What does it mean? What, what is... What is the author who is God or the particular author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, uh, Isaiah, what are they trying to get across? And then the final question is, well, what does this mean to me? Or what does this mean to us? And she put it into a little song. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Really simple, really simple. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? And then part of that is journaling. And I recommend journaling with God, which is where you write and then take a moment after you've written to listen, because you might hear God say, that was terrific, or I'm so pleased with you, or God may ask you a question. What did you mean by you know, you're having trouble uh, with, with your cousin? Mm -hmm. uh, reflect on that a little bit more, you, you know, that, that God will speak to you. Uh, perhaps reinforcing a scripture, he may, you may get a sense. Verse 15 is really important, underline that, so on. So just that engagement with God. It's sort of like you're seeking the Lord with all your heart. You're saying, search me, O God, and know me as you engage in these disciplines of reflection. Awesome. Well, we do invite you to continue this conversation now on our private Facebook group. So you can search for People of the Way on Facebook, or you can visit peopleoftheway.org to join. And once you're there, just we encourage you to share your ideas, suggestions, and questions, and even your struggles if you feel comfortable as you seek to parent and disciple 
children and young adults of virtue and respond kindly, please, <laughs> to others who may have different opinions right. um, than you. Good. So may God bless you as you reflect on this encouragement to be reflective. And we'll see you online. And next month, we hope you join us when we look at the virtue of rendering. Again, under this overarching virtue, hope. Raising children who give, that's what rendering means, give sacrificially of themselves and their time and their resources to God and to others as we help them to behold him who is the giving, self-emptying, rendering of himself, God. So join us then, please, for the People of the Way podcast. Thank you.